Tonight's reading is from Galatians chapter 3, starting at verse 1, and that can be found on page 1169 of the Blue Bibles. Galatians chapter 3, verse 1 to 14. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law, or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again I ask, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law, or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand, then, that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as it is written. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Thanks, Nicola. It'd be helpful if you can have Galatians open in front of you. It'd be even more helpful if, uh, if I've got it open as well. Jenny is a successful lawyer who has worked hard to establish her career. But despite her achievements, despite her accomplishments in her job, she often doesn't feel like she belongs in the position. And she's not, she doesn't feel like she's as good as her colleagues. She's constantly worried that one day she's going to be exposed as a fraud and that people will realize that she doesn't actually know what she's doing. And this anxiety spills over into her social life as well. She avoids networking events. She avoids social gatherings because she feels like she just doesn't fit in. She's scared that people are going to see behind the mask. This is an example of imposter syndrome. Jenny's feelings of inadequacy and self-doubt, they're not based on reality, but her self-criticism and fear of failure are holding her back and preventing her from fully enjoying her career and her friendships. There might well be times where we as Christians feel a kind of 
imposter syndrome. We might compare ourselves to others in the church and we can feel the insecurities mounting up within us. The devil maybe plants uh, thoughts, negative thoughts in our minds. Our own failures and deficiencies compared to other people pile up towards the sky. We're scared that, unlike the real Christians, we're going to be exposed on Judgment Day. We're anxious that our brothers and sisters will see behind the Christian smile to what we're really like behind the mask. We say, those Christians, they're the real thing. I'm not really part of God's family. I can't really be right in God's eyes. That's the Christian imposter syndrome. And the believers in Galatia are experiencing that imposter syndrome. Really, they've brought it on themselves, as we've been seeing over the past few weeks. They've started giving in to the false gospel taught by uh, the false teachers from Jerusalem. Those troublemakers are claiming that they are the ones who are really part of God's family because they believe gospel plus, gospel plus circumcision, gospel plus food laws, gospel plus law, by extension, gospel plus any type of human effort at all. And so the Galatians, they start thinking, those Christians, they're the real thing. They're the ones who are really part of God's family. Those are the ones who are right in God's eyes. Us, we're still on the outside looking in. In Galatians chapter 3, Um, All the way through to chapter 4, verse 7, our Father God wants to to help us with our Christian imposter syndrome. The next three sermons are all going to answer this question. Who are Abraham's children? Or um, we might put that another way. Who is really part of God's family? Is it the Christians over there or, or are we in fact in and so to this week, we've, um, we've just finished Paul's testimony in Galatians, if you've been following along with us. He's used his personal life experiences to show that he was preaching the only genuine good news. His conversion, his meeting in Jerusalem with the other apostles, his beef with Peter's pork, all showed that we are saved through grace, by, uh, by grace, through faith alone. But um, the imposter syndrome is leading those Galatians to start relying on the law, just like those Christians over there. So Paul is really direct with them, as any of us would be if we saw a loved one walking towards the road. You foolish Galatians. You foolish Galatians. They're starting to rely on the law in order to be part of God's family. And here's our main point today. Uh, We can um, put it up on the screen. Um, It's foolish to rely on the law instead of faith. It is foolish to rely on the law instead of faith. Uh, And in these verses, we're going to see four reasons why. So the first one you can already see there, it's foolish to rely on the law rather than faith because you began by hearing 
and believing. You began by hearing and believing. Um, Paul asks six questions in the first six verses. He seems utterly baffled. He seems just completely confused about what's going on. But, but actually, he's, he's asking question after question because he wants to get the readers and us thinking for ourselves. So when he asks, who has bewitched you? He's not genuinely suggesting that witchcraft might be involved in their situation. Rather, he wants them to realize that they must be out of their minds. He wants them to look back at their Christian life, at all they've experienced, and realize just how bizarre their behavior is. This rebuke um, and all these questions, it's based on their experience as believers. Specifically, Paul mentions three experiences. Number one, hearing the cross preached, that's in verse one. Number two, receiving the Spirit, that's in verses two, three, and five. And experience number three, God's miracles, that's in verse five. Allow me to briefly explain those three. Experience one, hearing the cross preached. I'm saying hearing, but actually notice that verse 1 seems to be talking about seeing. Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. That's not literal. The believers in Galatians, um, I'm pretty sure none of them were present at the crucifixion when Jesus died on the cross. Nor did Paul have a, t- uh, had a, have a team of like painting preachers that uh, did a visual representation for everybody. Um, instead, they heard gospel, normal gospel preaching that was so clear, it was as if Jesus' death was happening in front of their very eyes. It was like they were watching the events unfold right in front of them. As they listened, it was like they could see the nails, the crown of thorns, and the robe of crimson blood clothing their saviour's body. Experiencing one, experience one, hearing the cross preached. Experience two, receiving the spirit. Paul kind of drops this in without explaining it much. I don't want to dwell on it um, too much because of that, but it's another way of referring to a Christian's conversion experience. It's explained in more detail if you want to look at it in a place like Romans 8 verses 9 to 10. Everybody who is in Christ receives the Holy Spirit uh, when they become a Christian. He lives in us, giving us new life and confirming who we are now. That's the second experience, receiving the Spirit. And the third experience that these Galatians have gone through is God's miracles. Verse 5 talks about God working miracles among those churches. We don't particularly know what those miracles were. Um, But uh, we know from Acts that they'd seen signs and wonders performed by Paul and Barnabas. And evidently, Paul knew that um, they were continuing to experience some kind of healings or something like that among them. So those are the three. Hearing the cross preached, receiving the Spirit, and God's miracles. Those were all signs um, and blessings confirming that these people were part of the new creation. But Paul's line of questioning is less about the experiences themselves and more about what led to those experiences. 
verse 2 and verse 5. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? And then 5. Does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by works of the law or by believing what you heard? These are questions, but the answer is obvious. Look back at your own testimony if you like. Every single Christian blessing that you've experienced came to you through hearing and believing. The message that changed your life wasn't law. It was seeing Christ crucified. The law had nothing to do with you receiving the Spirit, becoming a Christian. The law didn't perform the miracles that you've seen in your life or the prayers that you've had answered. The law has been completely irrelevant so far. So why would you start relying on it now? That's the question that's kind of underlined or double underlined in this uh, this paragraph, right in the middle. Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? The means of the Spirit are hearing and believing. The means of the flesh are the works of the law or any type of human effort for that matter. So we could paraphrase it like this. If you began by hearing and believing, why on earth would you try to finish by human effort? This morning, Mel, Josiah and I went to visit our old church in northeast London. Around um, 4 p.m., we hopped in the car to uh, hopefully arrive on time for the evening service here. We just about made it. We had plenty of petrol in the tank. Um, The car is big enough to carry all of Josiah's stuff, uh, his travel cot, his toys, and it was a comfortable drive. We were making pretty good time. Um, There wasn't much traffic going over that that bridge. I've forgotten where it is. Uh, Begins with a D, Dartford. Uh, That's the one. Um, We were going to be on time. But then imagine that I pull the car over, stop, Get Mel and Josiah out, get all the luggage out as well. And then I say, I know the car's got us this far, but I think we better walk the rest of the way. I think we better carry everything ourselves. I reckon we'll get to the evening service on time. What do you think Mel's going to say to that? Is she going to be positive? I don't think so. You fool! Andrew, you fool! The car has got us this far perfectly. Why would you try and do the rest of the journey on foot? It's ridiculous. It is foolish to rely on the law rather than faith because you began by hearing and believing. Verses 7 to 9 give us another reason why it's foolish to rely on the law rather than faith. We can click on a slide. Those who have faith are children of Abraham. The previous paragraph ended with an example of Abraham in verse 6. He kind of pops up like a -a whack-a-mole out of nowhere um, without much explanation. And then in the next two chapters, he's mentioned nine times. Um, This kind of unexplained appearing and the frequency of how often he pops up has led many people, and I think they're right, to conclude that Abraham featured heavily in the false teacher's message in their other gospel. They might have said something like this. It's great that you've believed in Jesus, but you're not really part of God's family until you become one of Abraham's children. 
They thought of Abraham as the father of the Jewish nation. So in their mind, becoming one of Abraham's children meant becoming Jewish through circumcision, kosher food, all the other stuff. But who does God say are Abraham's children? Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you, so those who rely on faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. There are two main points um, from these verses. Point one, God saved Abraham because of his faith, not because of his ethnicity. God justified him, credited righteousness to him simply because Abraham believed what God promised. So whatever anyone else might claim, Abraham's true children are those who share his faith, not those who share his ethnicity. It's his faith that matters to God, ultimately. It's your faith that matters to God, ultimately. And point two, God always intended to bless all peoples. The salvation of the Gentiles wasn't an afterthought. Rather, all the way back there in the early chapters of Genesis, God told Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you. So what these troublemakers, these agitators, these false teachers were doing was completely pointless, wasn't it? If God was always going to bless all nations, then what's the point of trying to force everyone into the same mold. Pointless. God saved Abraham because of his faith, not his ethnicity. God always intended to bless all peoples. So relying on faith alone is enough. Faith alone is completely enough to justify us without anything else added in. I just threw that word out, justify. Um, Justified is one of those Christianese words that's really worth knowing and understanding. When I was little, I learnt the, the description, justified, justified, never sinned. Um, I thought that's pretty good. Uh, but actually, it's better than that. When you come to Jesus with faith, trust, belief, when you ask for your sins to be forgiven, you're not just declared innocent, you are declared righteous. You are justified, justified, being as perfect as Jesus. Justified, being as perfect as Jesus. And once justified, you are completely welcome in God's family. It's foolish to rely on the law rather than faith because those who have faith are children of Abraham. Uh, Point three of four. We're making good progress. It is also foolish to rely on the law rather than faith because all who rely on the law are under a curse. Um, I love how clear uh, Paul's argument is in verse 10 and 12. It doesn't leave any room for doubt. All who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do Everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God. He's warning these Galatians, remember, 
that's against relying on the law in order to be part of God's family. He argues that the law cannot save anyone, and those who depend on it are actually under a curse. And this curse is the unavoidable consequence of not being able to obey the law perfectly. Talking about curse, um, it's not really part of our everyday vocabulary, is it? It seems a little bit spooky. Um, but actually, when we think about the wider story of the Bible, it does come up a few times. So um, back in the Garden of Eden, we see the concept of a curse. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they brought a curse upon themselves. They were banished from that garden. Um, they brought a curse on the world as well. The ground was cursed. The curse brought pain. It brought suffering. It brought death into the world. Most tragically, it, they were cut off from God's presence. But maybe even more closely tied to Galatians is uh, the curse in Deuteronomy chapter 27 and 28. uh, There, Moses warns the Israelites of the curses that will come upon them if they don't obey God's commands. Those curses um, in the land, the promised land, were disease, famine, and captivity. Once again, the promise of being cut off, banished from God's presence. And so when we come back to Galatians, we see a very similar sort of thing there, just like Deuteronomy, just like the Garden of Eden, just like Adam and Eve bringing a curse upon themselves. Those who rely on the law for salvation bring upon themselves that curse. This curse is being cut off from God. Um, For any of us, trying to get into God's family um, by obeying the law, it's it's like wrapping your whole body up in a combination of thorns and chains. Um, Just imagine starting starting at your foot with massive thorns, just wrapping it tightly around your body. The the pain of that, uh, the thorns being a symbol of uh, Eden's curse, and, and the chains... Every single law, every single command is a a heavy chain weighing us down. And trying to make your way into God's family by the law is like placing those chains upon you, um, locking locking the locks next to your skin and throwing away the key. Because we have absolutely no way of obeying that law. We have no way of releasing that chains. And so as we find ourselves relying on the law, we're just in pain and stuck without being able to do anything whatsoever, wrapped up in chains and thorns. And by the way, just in case you think you can get out of this and kind of go, yes, I want to rely on faith and a little bit of law and together I can get into God's family that way. Verses 11 and 12 completely rule that out. You can't mix them together because they are complete opposites. And then finally, move on to the last slide. It's foolish to rely on the law rather than faith because Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. The Greek word for redeem, it refers to the process of paying a price in order to 
by a slave's freedom. Um, That slave, after being redeemed, was no longer bound to the rules and expectations of a slave's life. So to be redeemed from the law means to be set free from its rules and its regulations. In other words, those who are redeemed from the curse of the law are no longer required to obey all those law law commands as the Israelites were. Um, Remember, here we are standing wrapped up in chains, wrapped up in painful thorns. And what does Christ do on the cross? Well, he, he takes every single one of those chains and he places them on himself. He takes those thorns which were wrapped around you and he, and he ties them into a crown and he places it on his own head. He becomes the curse so that we might be set free. He breaks those chains as he takes them down into the grave and pays the penalty that our sins deserved. Christ became a curse so that we might be free. Christ became a curse so that we might be blessed. Uh, That's what we see um, when we come to the end in verse 14. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of his spirit. Christ cursed us blessed so why would you go back to the very thing that Christ has set you free from? When your chains have been broken, when Christ has lifted them off you, why would you put them on again? Why would you try and tie yourself back up in thorns when you've been set free? It makes no sense. It's foolish to rely on the law rather than faith. Why? Because you began by hearing and believing. Because those who have faith are children of Abraham. Because all who rely on the law are under a curse. And because Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Do you want to be part of God's family? Do not rely on the law. Don't think that you will be accepted, whether in here or in glory, just because you say the right thing, just because you dress a certain way, just because you obey certain commands, that is not the way to welcome an acceptance in God's family. As we'll see in future weeks, faith alone is perfectly sufficient. If you're relying on that, be assured, it's not them, the the real Christians, it's you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we we praise you for lifting every single chain off our back. We praise you for placing or being willing to have that crown of thorns placed on your head. Thank you for setting us free. And Father God, we are, we are so sorry for disregarding what Christ has done, for spitting on the cross of Christ by trying to ever place those chains back on ourselves. Thank you that faith alone 
is utterly sufficient to be one of your children. We pray that you would give us such confidence because of that. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing of our redemption and everything that Christ has achieved for us with our final song, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery.